0: Well, good morning. All right. Is anybody cold? Should we like turn the heat on? Let's just soak this in. If you don't have air conditioning at home, just get your core temperature really down so you go outside if you're good. Um, well, it is good to be back with you this morning and speaking. Um, we are wrapping up our series today uh, on Wisdom. Um, where we've been looking really at various subjects through um, the book of Proverbs and hearing God's voice speak into uh, different areas of life and how do we walk and live a submitted life um, so that we'd walk wisely and image God along the way. And so, a few weeks ago, um, Brad and Marilla shared and discussed this idea of how do we live wisely as married people, as a married person. Yet we know that not everyone in this room is married, Right? Not that I not that I know of anyone. Um and, and also not everyone on this planet is actually married or will be married. And so today uh what we want to talk about is we want to talk about the idea of, of wisdom when it comes to singleness. What does it look like to walk as a single person on this planet to image God in that way? What does God have to say about how we live as a single person? I want to encourage you as well, just the same way we said this when... um, I think you guys said this. I was in kids. I didn't listen, to be honest with you. I should go back and listen to the podcast. I'm sure it was really amazing. I'm sorry. I haven't got there yet. I've been kind of busy. Um, That's not a good excuse, though. Um, Anyway, I'll go back and listen to this afternoon. Um, I promise you. Um, They probably said this, but if they didn't, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, If If you're married... This sermon is still for you as well. Just the same way when we talk about marriage, it's for single people. Um, So I want to encourage you to to interact, to learn, to listen, to think about how you can care for singles as part of this family if you're married. And if you're single, I want to encourage you as well to think and to listen and to be encouraged of how you interact within the broader family too. How do, we, how do we both use and fulfill um, the, the call for God in our lives to image Him on this planet and in this city as, as a broader family? Now, I've, I've said this before and many times have we talked about different things over the years, but I want to remind you of this as well as we dive into this subject, that one's role, one's position in life, one's sex, one's job, one's marital status does not define a person. It doesn't give them value like most of our culture tells you that it does. Our culture around us tells us that all of those things give you value and significance. But in God's economy, none of those things actually equate with worth. None of those things equate with value. One's worth and one's value is defined by what God says and what he's done for you and for me on the cross and through the resurrection. I want to say this as well, that that singleness is not a stage where you're waiting to move on from. I think oftentimes we think, oh, well, I become a baby and then I move on from this and this and this. And then once I get to that age, it's like a stage, like we're taking steps up. Singleness is not a stage where you're waiting to move on for, or where you can all, all of a sudden become useful or feel valued. That's a lie. That's a lie. God has designed each of us equally interdependent on each other in order for us all to fulfill His purpose and to image Him and to take care of His creation. And so regardless of whether you're single, or whether you're divorced, or whether you're married, or whether you're widowed, we all get to experience the deep, mysterious reality of one fullness with God. And we all get to find the same true joy and satisfaction and intimacy with the one true love that is actually out there, Jesus Christ. He is actually the only perfect spouse for any of us. That's it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna preach that some more probably. (laughs) I need someone else to give me some feedback, please. Somebody's got to preach here. Alright. If we look at the book of Proverbs, what we find out is that much of this subject around singleness actually relates on the subject of purity. And I know oftentimes when you think maybe or you've heard a sub- you've heard a, a, a pastor or someone talk on singleness, most of the time all they do is talk about purity. So I want to talk about that a little bit today, but that's not going to be the only subject that we cover. Because this idea of purity and, and really what Proverbs is teaching in here is it's really actually about idolatry and how people worship sex and how people use sex as worship. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that, but we're going to, we're going to actually bounce around on God's Word today. We're not going to just stay in the book of Proverbs. Um, we're going to kind of talk about many different scriptures in here because God's, all of God's Word actually contains wisdom not just the book of Proverbs or the wisdom literature. It all contains wisdom of how do we walk a submitted life to Jesus. I do want to share a few thoughts about purity um, as, as as we kind of start this. The goal of purity really is to make much of Jesus, whether you're single or you're married. That's really what life is all about, making much of Jesus, making Jesus big, and bringing Him to the forefront of our lives so that He would receive more glory. A few weeks ago when we talked about marriage, I'm sure they talked about this idea of the beauty of marriage in the Bible, and how it's this physical picture of the covenant love between Christ and His church. I want to say that while marriage is this amazing image that is used in Scripture to describe God's love for, for us and for His church, often what happens is unknowingly when we think about that or when we teach that, what we're saying is unless you're married, you can't fully or wholly actually image God. I think it's something that, that we do in the church. Please know that's a lie. And I, w- I want to say, if you've ever felt that or heard that in this church, I want to ask for your forgiveness as one of our leaders. That is not our intention to teach or to promote as leaders. Marriage is, is not the mission of the church. And it shouldn't be yours either if you're single. In Matthew 28, God is very clear on what he says the mission of the church is. He says, Jesus says this in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know what he doesn't say after that? And then go get married. And then you can do that. He doesn't say that, but yet somehow we've lumped that in when we think about the picture of marriage when we think about imaging God and being on his mission. John Piper says it this way. He's usually pretty smart. He says, God has made for us, made for us greater love and joy that can orbit around the planet of a finite human being. He's made us for a greater love and joy than one person can actually fulfill. You see, just like how the beauty of marriage images God, I want to say the beauty of singleness is actually a picture of God as well. It's a picture of the spiritual nature of God's family that grows and regenerates and, and lives in faith, not procreates and lives in sex. It's, different. it's a different picture, but just as beautiful. And to be clear here, the point of purity that That Scripture talks about is this idea of of setting oneself apart for God and for His purposes and for the things that He calls in for His people. And this is for all of God's people. See, what happens is when we actually elevate sex um, to the position um, or, or we take married and we say, this is the ultimate, what we've actually done is we've replaced God and His purpose and we've turned that into idolatry and to worship. And neither marriage nor singleness is to be idolatrized, worshiped or feared. Marriage and singleness can both be an idolatrous relationship. I want to say in marriage often what happens is spouses worship each other. It's one of the the biggest Issues that happens often and and why why we end up talking and counseling people all the time is because they've taken someone else and they've turned and worshipped them. And the things that they say and the things that they do affect us so much because our idol is killing us now. And it's proving that it's no good. The things that we're worshipping has proved to be no good. In marriage, spouses can worship each other. They can worship sex. They can worship their children often. Or they can worship not having children and having this double income power to buy whatever they want. That's cool too, right? Both singles and marrieds can worship sex as well. They can look to it for defined value and approval that someone else actually desires me now. I want to say married people can worship togetherness, And single people can worship autonomy or independence or sometimes you feel incomplete without a spouse. And I want to say that's a form of worship as well. You're actually worshiping someone else that maybe you don't even know yet. And often what happens is is we turn into this self-worship. And regardless of what side you're on, whether married or single, you look at others and you tend to judge them. We do this all the time. We judge people that are not in the same place as us. I was thinking about this. I think oftentimes married people can look at singleness as a mark of immaturity or irresponsibility. Or incompleteness. They must have something that's broken in them. They got this broken quality that keeps them from being married. It's gonna take a really special person to marry them. Right? Or maybe we've even said, you know what, they're probably gay. That's why they're not married yet. I think on the other side, single, you can often look at married people as someone like, They just settled. I know they settled. They could not make it on their own. They were not as strong as me. Maybe they're just like a second-class Christian. They could not control their sex, and so they had to get married. There's all kinds of things that we like take and we lump and we judge each other on. I want to say those, whether they're voiced or they're thought, are statements of character, their statement of value, and their identity statements. If we don't see that both marriage and singleness are actually both equally beautiful pictures of a way to image God, we're going to end up judging and worshiping something else. If you look throughout Scripture, Scripture doesn't just have one image in the Bible of how to describe God and how to describe his relationship with us. Scripture is full of hundreds and thousands of physical images to describe his beauty, his vastness, and his uniqueness. I want to say God uses both the beauty of marriage and the beauty of singleness to reflect his grace towards humans. And they are both gifts. Being married is not some better spiritual stage that you can now image Jesus in. And being single is not some better way to be closer to God. If we're going to actually live as his family, to live as his church in the city, we need to see all of life, married or single, as opportunities to make much of Jesus. That's really what purity is actually about. It's about living a life of holiness so that all you see, all you do, all you read, all you think about, and the way that you use your body reflects holiness and purity in God, regardless of whether you're married or single. Purity is about people, about the people of God, not about a marital status. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians um, because... There's some passages in 1 Corinthians that I think that are infamous, that often get misused when Christians think about marriage or think about singleness. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9. We're going to start there. And I want to just clarify a few things as we think about this verse. 1 Corinthians 7, 9 says this. If they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry Than to burn with passion. I want to clear a few things up when we think about a person that seeks to be married, knowing that that he or she is single would burn with passion, doesn't mean, or doesn't have to mean, that marriage becomes a mere channel for the sex drive. God is not saying if you can't control your desire for sex, you better get married. And if you can, then just stay single. That is not how Scripture works. Scripture never says, do X so you can fix Y. That's not the gospel. That's living in law. It's the same idea of, of, of just joining a gym is not going to instantly transform your body to where you look like big and tough and tight, right? Or, or starting a blog is not going to instantly make you a good writer. If I picked up that guitar or purchased a guitar, it's not going to make me a musician. The same principle is true for marriage. Marriage is not going to instantly change you or fix the broken pieces in you. Actually, what marriage does is actually exposes what's already inside of you. Getting married will not make you a good spouse or make you a better person or fix your obsession with sex. Humanity was not ultimately made, I want to say, to be married to itself. It was ultimately made to be married to God. What God is saying in view of the gospel here in 1 Corinthians is actually, use marriage, use sex to image my holiness and my beauty. And probably more than anything else in scripture, the description of purity and holiness is actually described in terms of sexual intercourse. And if you think about this and you want to unpack what's true about God and what's pictured in sex, it actually starts to make sense. See, at the fall of humanity, when humanity lost its unity with God and with each other, there was now division and separation and God kicks them out of the garden and people are at odds with one another. Once people enjoyed great intimacy with God and they walked in the cool of the day and now they're separated from that. And the ability to, to, have, to have children now, the joy of childbearing, something that was supposed to be a natural outflow, something that was supposed to, to, to be a beautiful thing, now was painful. The husband and wife's relationship was now strained. And it's almost this idea that as they looked at the fall and all that they lost, and, and sex pictured that more than anything else, And so they actually end up covering their private parts. It's this interesting metaphor that we see all throughout Scripture for brokenness is sexuality in the marriage relationship. You see, God knows that there was something that was very sacred and very beautiful when he made us actually sexual beings. In many ways, sex becomes the most full expression of humanity demonstrating what God is like. In its unity, in its intimacy, in its procreation, and its in its desire for him to enjoy life. This holiness, and really this idea of being naked and unashamed. The problem has become that the world around us and the culture around us, and even within the church, sex has become so distorted. That when we think about sex, we don't actually even think about God anymore. But the way God actually intended it, that we would... We would think about God when we think about sexuality. That it would be this signpost that would point us back to God, that we would remember that we can't exist alone. That we were made for something that that was way greater than us. It would be a reminder of of nakedness and unashamed that we would be reminded of the life that we actually have in Christ. It would be all of those things. See, sex is not something that's evil. Sex is actually just reveals the evilness and brokenness in our heart as we think about it now. But all throughout Scripture and in Proverbs and in the story of Israel and the New Testament, the brokenness of humans is really described as as one who's living as a harlot, one who's living as a prostitute, one who's burning with passion to give themselves away sexually to many people, one who lives in pure and who lives in shame, and who lives in destruction. Where we live in our brokenness, not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with other people. And instead of sex actually revealing God's holiness and purity, now it reveals our unclean hearts. And the truth is, we've, we end up falling into that lie outside that outside of God, there's something to obtain. There's something to have. There's something that's going to give me significance. That if I have sex with someone, it's going to make me significant now. Or if I finally get married, I'll be significant. I want to say that's the same lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden when the serpent comes to them and says, Eat this and you will be like God. The problem is they already had that. They were already made in God's image, yet they believed that something that God had created was better than the Creator Himself. I think that's why there's such a great call to purity in the area of sex. Because it becomes this vivid picture of of our hearts and our desire to run after something that God designed rather than after Him. And so we need to ask the question, whether we're married or whether we're single, does the way that we view and express ourselves in the area of sex reflect the holiness of God? Or have we exchanged sex for God and viewed sex as the ultimate instead of God as the ultimate? I think for Christians, often, as we take this verse in Corinthians, we take this broken view of sex, and we take this broken view of marriage, and this idol, and we live out our idolatry through this verse. Where we make marriage this ultimate relationship. That's not what God is saying here in this verse. Rather, what God is saying in 1 Corinthians is really live a life free from idolatry. It's really what the whole book of 1 Corinthians is about and discusses over and over and over again. How do we live out of idolatry in this area, in this area, in this area? God is saying, find your true joy, find your intimacy with me and let your singleness or let your marriedness, if that's a word, reflect that. He's not saying, go feed your idol for sex by getting married. Instead, he's saying, see everything that you have, everything that I've given you as a means to worship me. If you're married, he's calling you to worship him and see that as a gift. If you're single, he's calling you to worship him and see that as a gift. We see that later on in 1 Corinthians where he says it's better to be single. It's not this idea that that's some better thing either. He's saying that use that gift, use what you've been given in life to steward his grace and to steward his image and to fall deeper in love with him. That really this reality that that all things in life are intended to sanctify us and used for the purpose of worshiping Him. And that should have a direct bearing, actually, on how we view and how we think about and how we live out our singleness or our married life. That everything God created is good, and He designed it for us to see Him and to pursue Him in the midst of it. I think that's why later on he says it's better to be single. It's not because one status is better, but God is saying, look at what you have right now and view that as grace from me. You have actually more time. You have actually more relational capacity to pursue me. You don't have, the, you don't have, you have one less person in your life to idolize. Don't take someone that you don't even know or that you want to pursue and idolize them. See what you have as a gift from me. That's better. I'm better. I say if we're going to live as a gospel-centered family together, we're going to need to see each other as gifts from God. As gifts that God has given us to reflect in marriage. As gifts that God has given us to reflect Singleness. As gifts and as mutual partners, equally gifted and equally valued on the same mission. You see, Jesus did not die to make his bride, I'm sorry, Jesus did die to make his bride holy. And as the church, that's the image that we strive for to make God more beautiful. It's a, it's a group project. It's not a married people project or a single person's project. It's the family's mission together to worship God and to enjoy Him forever and that we get to now live in the identity and live in the giftedness and give, live in the things that God has placed in our lives and see them as a way to worship Him. And it's not based on our relationship status with another human. God is bigger than a status that we have with someone here on this planet. I know I said I was going to be short before I asked Sarah to come, but I just had to go because someone told me to preach. Um, <laughs> I want to stop for a minute. I want to ask Sarah to join me up here. I want to ask Sarah to, to share her journey and what God has been teaching uh, her about himself um, regards to singleness, um, because I think that God has actually given her much grace and much wisdom. I'm sorry, I didn't give you a microphone um, on this on this subject. And I um, and I think it's healthy for her to share that with us and to to think about um, from a single woman's perspective. How do we walk and how do we care for one another? in this family, so that we would actually be on the mission of God together, not on mission individually. And thinking about one thing is better than the other. So, Sarah, please share with us.
1: This is on? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much everything um, that I've kind of learned recently. Um, I feel like God has shown me a lot of those things about putting my identity in a relationship status. Um, I think that that's something that he has brought to my attention lately that has been a hidden idol in my life. Um, And so it has been a gracious thing um, for him to reveal those things to me. So I kind of wanted to share my background with being a single gal with (laughs) y'all. Um... First of all, I hate talking about being single to people who are not also single. It feels like I should be in a, I don't know, like a Starbucks club wearing a pink lacy dress and crying into a latte. Like it just feels really sad and pathetic. Like anytime you have to talk to somebody Um, about something that they have that you do not, it feels very, like, it feels sad. Like, it feels a little pathetic. I don't know. And so for a long time, I have not enjoyed particularly sharing about that um, because it makes me feel weak, and I am prideful, so I don't like that. Um, I also, um, I don't know, I, I kind of, for a very long time, have put off singleness as, like, I don't know, I've stereotyped it as this little minor problem that like, I don't know, it's fine. You're making a, b- a big deal out of nothing. You're okay. But it's it's a struggle. Um, so I kind of had the chance recently or within the last year to kind of dig up the roots of where that came from. Um, why do I feel like this is such a hard thing to talk about or an annoying thing to have to bring up? Um why is this always the thing that's always on my heart? Um, and so I think that number one, growing up in the South in a Southern Baptist church is—it's you get married when you're 18 years old, and that was my plan. I thought I legitimately thought this in high school. 17, I'm going to meet the guy I'm going to marry. Going to get married by 21, 25, I'll have my first kid. And I am standing here, or sitting here, and I am 27 years old, and none of that has happened. (laughs) But that's kind of like the natural progression progression in the South. Um, But I think that bigger than that, I think that it is kind of a subconscious message that has uh, played in the background of the church for a while. Um, This idea of... um, you're not really being allowed to use your gifts optimally if you are only a single unit um, and that message is conveyed in very like subtle ways um, that i don 't even think that we realize um, it, it has to do with things like um, i don 't know like if i 'm struggling with it and I work up the courage to say it to a married person like Yeah, it's just hard to be single today. And their response is, Girl, God is going to send you a husband, and he is going to be great for you. He's going to be the perfect match. Like, that's a subconscious message, because it's not biblical. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you can't tell me that, because we don't know. Um so that 's one way, and that 's very common. I have been told that several times um, throughout my life that just hold on it 's okay like um, so it sends out this message of like yeah you 're right, you are incomplete, like but it 's okay, like you have hope in this thing instead of Jesus um, so that 's one thing. Uh, the rant <laughs> don 't take this as me not liking matchmaking because I love matchmaking, but another thing I think is um. You know, you see two random people in a body of believers who do not fit together at all. But this married gal over here is like, but they're the only two single people. Let's put them together. <laughs> so that also conveys the the message of those two people are incomplete. We need to put them together. Um, and then there's also just the the whole problem of like, what do we do with singles? Like, eh put them in a singles class, put them in charge of childcare. instead of like looking at them as individuals and um, taking the time to get to know them in the ways that God has gifted them, in the ways that they would be a benefit to serving the body. Um, so this, these are all the different ways that I've experienced, plus many more, I'm sure, um, of how I have believed about singleness. The messages that have been played to me um, and so I think that's where that belief came from. Um, and so i that have to say, um, I think that whenever I kind of realized this was, we went on, it was at the end of last year, or the beginning of this year, I don't know when, uh, the Selma Leaders Retreat. We went and had like a beach weekend. Um, and I don't know, it was on that retreat that I kind of had to like step back for a minute and think like, I don't know, I kind of felt like a kindergartner who was, like, being brought to work by their parents, like, oh, you can come, like, you can help out, and so going on this retreat, I was like, am I allowed to be a leader? Like, I still feel like a kid, and I think that that is one of the messages that's conveyed is if you're not married, you're missing out on, like, this little piece of wisdom that you get. Whenever you get married, like, there's this supernatural level of, like, Christianness that you attain, um... And I wasn't there yet, so I was like, I'll just fake it till I'll make it and went on this retreat. Um but it was really sweet to go on that retreat and to be cared for um by fellow believers and to see that they actually like see the ways that God has gifted me and encouraged me to use those things. Um and so that was a big deal. Um we also did some exercises that we can I remember there was like this packet of like ways that we could like s- spend time with God. We we had like these breakout sessions. So we went and there was one day one exercise that talked about um uh you go out and you are alone with God um and all these screaming thoughts that are at the forefront of your mind instead of like doing the usual and like pushing them down and being like, God, my focus is on you and not these things. Um, the exercise was to, okay, like let those things float up. What are they? Let's identify them. Let's bring them to God. Like, and of course mine was like, God, will I ever be married? This is something that I do deeply desire. Um, and it was the thing that, Popped up first, and just having to deal with that—I um, don't know—and and just kind of realizing that the two of those things were connected. Um, that me feeling inadequate as a leader, and me having this desire—I um, really did believe that, like, I was kind of—I don't know—on hold um, to fully be able to serve. Uh, Jesus in his kingdom. And I think that we do that. I don't think that that's just singles. I think that that is everyone. I think that that has to do with like, oh, well, whenever I graduate high school, then I'll finally be able to do this thing or serve uh, the Lord in this capacity. Or um, whenever I buy this new house, then I'll be able to be hospitable and like invite people into my life. Um, So it was just the one specific way that I was... um, not glorifying God with the way that he had created me. Um, So yeah, I think that that was the weekend that I kind of realized that I had made singleness my identity um, instead of the fact that we are in Christ. Like, he is our identity. Um, And singleness is a gift. I think that um, that goes back to the idea of worshiping creation instead of the creator is we take these gifts that God has given us. And I do view it as a gift sometimes. um, But other times it is really hard. But I think that kind of what I realized is like, even in that, in that little breakout session on the beach, whenever I was experiencing this pain of like letting go and saying, God, this is something that I've wanted for a long time and life looks different than I thought it would. Um I have watched all my friends get married, and I have told you all the while this is something that I want to do. like I want to be able to serve alongside somebody else and experiencing that pain, but at the same time it's experiencing a joy, and i don 't know, the Holy Spirit just taking care of me in that moment and giving me joy in his presence and helping me to remember. Um, that those two things they don't have to be separate. Our joy and our suffering. I think that they are very much intermingled, um, and so just being able to kind of use that pain as a springboard, as uh, for my need for God. So using singleness and the pain in that as like kind of a launching pad to just lay in the lap of God as a child and say, "This is what I have to give you. Like this is the thing that hurts me." Um, But also, like, there's such joy in being able to give him the most precious thing um, that you hold dear. Um, And so I think that another thing that I learned through that whole thing was um, how important it is to live in community, and not just community, but a diverse community. Um, I think that... The enemy kept me alone in that struggle for a very long time because it felt pathetic to talk to people who were not in my situation about it. But there was such strength in that, um, especially getting to speak to one of my very good friends who is married, and she just questioned me on this thing. And, I mean, it's it's a hard thing to talk about it, but um, I did. I was telling her, you know, like how hard it was and where I was at that point, and she asked me hard questions Um, She said, well, what do your prayers look like regarding this area of your life? And I was like, I don't know. They've been the same since I was 16. It's something like, dear God, I'd like to be married one day. You already know this, but you know best, so whatever you will, amen. Um, (laughs) And her response was, yeah, but are you being honest with God? And that's when, I mean, it was a punch in the stomach, but it was something that I needed to hear, and I needed her to use that gift um, to encourage me to, I don't know. She she ended up telling me, she said, The thing is, Sarah, Like, I think that you're intellectualizing your relationship with God. You're telling him how he is and how he is sovereign and he has control, but you're not telling him, you're not letting him into your heart and being honest about what you're feeling regarding this. Um and he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just say words. He wants you, your heart. Um, and so, I don't know. I think that kind of the synopsis of this is just, um, it has to do with us not making gifts or struggles our identity. Remembering that Jesus is the one who bought us and that we can put our identity in him. He's big enough for that. Um, and I think... Another thing is just realizing that we are allowed to use the gifts that he has given us. And I think that that involves um, living as family and seeing, um, maybe pointing those things out to one another. Um, Whether that's pointing out the struggles that you see and being honest about that. That's not easy. Um, Pointing those things out or pointing out the ways that you see that God has gifted another person because they may not realize it. Um, And using those optimally now and not waiting for even the next day, because um, he, he gives us each day. And I think that, I don't know, I wanted to kind of tie that all together with uh, Colossians chapter 3. It says, I just thought it was really cool. Um, I'll just read it. If then you have been raised with, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then he goes on to say, put to death these um, earthly things in you, sexual immorality, impurity, etc., And he says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And then at the end he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do... In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah. That'll end it.
0: Thanks, Sarah. It's a good word that we get to, like, use whatever God gives us in whatever stage of life or whatever pieces of life that He has blessed us with and given to us are gifts for Him. There's not one that's different than another. Um, I want to just kind of close with a a couple practical words of encouragement or exhortation, maybe even, um, to both married and to single people. And some of this maybe is kind of summarized some of maybe some things that Sarah said there as well. Um, But I want to remind us, I, I talked about hospitality last week But God's desire for a family is that we would show hospitality. It's actually a very powerful and critical witness to the world around that that our lives are oriented around God's supremacy and who he is, and that our relationships are not defined by human status, but they're defined by what Christ says. God gets much glory actually when married people are folding single people into their lives and when single people are folding married people into their lives. It's not a one way or, or one or the other. It's for both and it's not just for relationship's sake. Not just so that we can have some more friends or that so we can learn some things. It's for the gospel and for Jesus' sake. That's why we fold each other into our lives. I want to encourage you married people invite singles into your home and into your lives make them a part of your family not just so they can watch your kids or give you some company but that you can actually learn from them and learn from their experience with God and what God is teaching them and what God is growing in them and what God has gifted them in I want to say this as well to you married people Stop trying to fix them up. (laughs) They don't need to get married just like you. He said this, but suddenly when we're trying to fix them up, you are telling them they are not complete or valued. If they find someone, that's great. The part of the family is that we boldly speak God's wisdom into that. If they ask for wisdom in those things, yes, we talk about and share the wisdom of relationships that that God has, has taught us. You need to boldly speak into areas of singles' lives where they're not walking in line with the gospel, but avoid making them look like you or judging them for when they don't do it the same way that you would do it. Singles, on the other side of this, you need to heed godly wisdom Invite married people into your life. Listen to them. Ask about relationships. Learn from them. And boldly speak into their lives as well. We need your wisdom and your gifts and the way that God has equipped you in our lives. This is something for everyone to get around that we need people around us that are not like us. Being with people that are just the same as you will only and always produce um, groupthink rather than godly perspective. I want to encourage us all to find godly relationships To pursue the family. To get involved in the lives of people that are different than you. That are different ages than you. That have different marital status than you. That look different than you. That think different than you. That you would be built up and that the family would be built up for the edification of the body. That's what God gives us different gifts for. So that he would be made more glorious. I want to also remind us, family, that purposefulness, is that a word? Lack of purpose always leads to loneliness. Lack of purpose always leads to loneliness. It makes singleness torture and it makes married life idolatrous. I want to encourage you to fill your life, to fill more of your time with what God calls you to to pursue each other, to pursue not yet believers. And to pursue Jesus more than all of those things. To actually live out the purpose of the gospel. God didn't just save you so that you could have an eternity in heaven with Him. He saved you for a purpose right now so that you would image Him and that you would pursue others and that your relationships with one another would actually reflect what it looks like for a God to fix the brokenness of this world. Don't live without purpose in your life. It will always lead to loneliness. And know that contentment doesn't merely come by clenching your fist and closing your eyes and whispering, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. Contentment always comes through being reminded of the truth of who you are. And when we're reminded of the truth of who we are, we repent of the areas that we're idolizing, and we ask God to change our hearts and to make us anew, not change our marital status. The only way that you will find contentment, whether married or single, is repenting and turning to Jesus and to walking in the truth of what He says about who you are. And the good news is that we get to find our joy in Jesus. Philippians reminds us, he says this, To live is to Christ, to live live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is not to marry. To live is to not raise children. To live is not to find the one. To live is to find Jesus. To live is Christ. Make Jesus your mission, not marriage. Whether you're married or single. What Paul is doing here in these verses in Philippians is expressing this paradox between the idea of continuing to live on mission and be with Christ to die. The mission is not some purgatory to escape from. And neither is being single. The mission is actually an epic adventure that we are actually a part of that God has placed us in and gifted us to walk a part of, together. And departure from that mission and from that, from that journey will always lead to loneliness and the lack of contentment in your life. But when we actually walk in it, it actually leads us to see Jesus face to face. I want to encourage you to walk in those ways. And the good news is that when we actually labor on His mission, Jesus promises that He's actually going to deal with our lonely souls. At the end of the Great Commission, he says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You are not alone, whether you're married or whether you're single. You are not alone. And when you grow lonely, know that Jesus sees and knows your pain. He knows your loneliness. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is able... One in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want to remind you that Jesus, more than any other human on this planet, walked alone. There was not another human that was like him or that could relate to him. People used him. His friends came and went. At the cross, the relationship he had from eternity past was broken and removed. And Jesus was alone. Jesus has felt loneliness that you cannot imagine. Whether you're married or whether you're single, Jesus knows your loneliness. He knows your heart and he knows what you need. And he says, I bring you joy and contentment and peace in relationship with me. Matthew 6 tells us that Jesus knows what you need even before you ask him. He says he knows the the number of hairs on your head And that He tenderly calls us and draws us to Him and says, cast all of your burdens upon Him. That He is a good God who loves you and cares for you and loves your lonely soul. He cares for you more than any other human could ever do or ever have the capacity for. You get to live in relationship with Jesus. One last verse. Psalm 16 says this In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. I want to remind us that all that is lovely and all that is desirable in a spouse or in another relationship with another person is just a mere echo or mere, mere glimpse of His loveliness and His relationship. And He is the only one that can actually complete you. And the good news is that we get to run to Jesus. We get to run to Him today. We get to run to Him tomorrow. We get to run to Him in every moment of life and to seek Him above any other person or any other relationship that we desire in life. And if He loves us, And that he calls us to us and he says, You are no longer lonely anymore. You no longer have to live by yourself anymore. I love you. I care for you. I've brought you into my home. I'm in relationship with you. I want to walk naked and unashamed in purity with you all the days of your life. That is good news. It is good news whether you're single or whether you're married that we don't have to be defined by something that the world tells us will make us more complete. Only Jesus will make you complete today. Sarah, can you close us in prayer?
1: Jesus, thank you so much that we can rest in you. God, that we don't have to build our own agenda or be a specific thing in order to serve you and to use the gifts that you have given us. Um, thank you for um, the comfort of being able to live alongside family and the way that you have left different pieces of yourself and different people. Um, we're gifted in different ways, Lord, and, and that we can encourage each other in that Um Lord, I pray that we would, as a family, be more in tune to your voice, um, that we would learn to know it well, um, and that we would, um, I don't know, take care of each other in that, that we would speak truth um, and be bold uh, as we listen to what you tell us. Um, Yeah. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made so that we
0: can know you, Lord, Um, in your name I pray.